0: All right, so we are doing a teaching series called Checking Out Jesus. This is message number three in the series. I'm going to say it out loud. I want you to go online if you missed the first two. And I know the weather has been lousy and all that. All the Minnesota excuses. So you can go online, you can catch up with the first two. I'll refer to them just a little bit uh, here and there, but I, I just want you to know it's out there. Crosswindschurch.com, and you're on your way. By the way, we're, we're, we're starting to get ready. We're not there yet, but we're getting ready um, to start streaming our messages. That is not permission not to come to church, but we're going to live stream them uh, because we know that sometimes we travel, and sometimes um, you know, as there's people who can't get out of their homes sometimes. Uh, snowbound, so we can figure out some of We're experimenting soon, so that's all coming at you. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever done something for the wrong reason? Right? Can you think you did something, and you know what? It re- wasn't that it was bad what you did, but for the wrong reason. So, so I did that. What came to my mind was when I was 15, 16 years old, and I went to serve at a Christian camp. And if I'm going to be honest with you, the reasons I went to it, number one, uh, to escape Duluth. I was invited to go to camp. Well, because it's never summer in Duluth, but July and and August, which is which is you know two gorgeous months, and um, I could leave. Don't we all kind of despise the town we grew up in at, at 15, 16 years old? So I got up and I went to this island. Where I had done camp for years and years, and they wanted me to come and be like a counselor in training, and then they also wanted me during girls camp, which lasted a month, to be in the dish room washing dishes and helping to cook food, that sort of thing. So Escape Duluth was my number one motivation. Number two, to have fun. I like nature. I like canoeing. I like all the swimming, outdoor stuff. So, so why wouldn't I want to go to to Lake of the Woods and be in an island? for two months of the the whole summer. And then the third thing is, maybe you caught this, but July was going to be girls' camp. (laughs) And I was 15. And I figured that the the, the ratio of men to women was in my favor. And I still (laughs) didn't get anywhere with anybody. All right, so... (laughs) Right? So going to Christian camp in the summer, um, what is the right answer? What's the right answer? Why should you go to Christian camp in the summer? Right? Come on, you know, it's a Sunday school answer. To serve Jesus wasn't even on my list. <laughs> didn't, didn't make the cut. And so when I came to you in the very first match of the series, I asked you to consider a question. The question is, if you're a follower of Christ, why do I, why do you follow Jesus? And I said, if we're honest about it, there's a wide variety of, of answers. You know, for some of us, it's to keep the marriage in some kind of um, harmonious state. For some of us, it's we don't know any different. We grew up in it, and we're just doing. Some of us, our friends go, so we follow them. And and I said, you know, those are all fine, but but they're not the they're not the right reason. Because if you're following a group to church, you're not really following Jesus. You're really following a group. And if you're just doing what your parents raised you to do, you're really not following Jesus. You're really following your parents. And and of course, we want to influence our children, but. We want to make a decision for a, a better reason. So the thesis of the series that we're in is the only reason to really follow Jesus is Jesus. right? For some of us, we've got to shake off certain things of our past in order to get to this point where we can go, the reason I follow Jesus is because of Jesus. And by the way, conversely, the only reason not to follow Jesus is Jesus. Because some of us are not following Jesus. We're keeping God at a distance and we have all kinds of reasons. And I, and you can figure out what they are because if it's you, you know what it is. And my and my question for you, is it Jesus? Is Jesus the reason you don't follow Jesus? If it is, I'll surrender. But if it's something else, then I would say, oh, you got to check out Jesus. you got to check out Jesus because the answer to following Jesus or not has to be found, found in him. Not in how poorly the church is or how Poorly, Christians have represented Jesus in the past. We surrender, those of us who are following Jesus. We mess this whole thing up. We are not good examples, but we are not Jesus. We're just following Jesus. So if you're going to follow Jesus, come with us, but make it about Jesus. So that's why we're calling this series Checking Out Jesus, and that's where we're headed. Now, when I read the Bible, especially the Gospels, I think the invitation of Scripture, the authors of the Bible, is for us to check out Jesus. I think that's why they wrote stuff down, especially the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those We don't even think of someone actually writing these things, but they were motivated. These authors were motivated because they were preserving what they had experienced. They wrote out the stories of Jesus, the events that took place. I don't like to use the word story sometimes because it sounds like a bedtime thing, you know, like once upon a time thing, and that's not what it is. This is the stories of Jesus, the actual events that they experienced. They wrote to convince us about what they were already convinced of right they were already following jesus they were devoted in fact they were so convinced that they dedicated their entire lives to following jesus after jesus arose and went to heaven the bible says those guys were sold out in fact they they suffered as followers and with one exception, all of them died of unnatural deaths, as far as we, we know. We don't have, this is not from the Bible, you can read about every single death, but history has handed us the stories of how they died, and, and there's no reason not to think they're reliable. But with one exception, they all died of unnatural deaths. Let me just review a few of those for you, just in case this is new information for you. So James, the brother of John, who wrote the Gospel of John, was executed by Herod. And you can read about that. This one is in the Bible, Acts 12. You can read about that. And the year was about 44 A.D. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was beheaded by Nero. Peter was crucified by Nero. Now, when when Peter was faced with crucifixion, uh, legend has it, or history has it, that he said, I don't want to be crucified because that's how my Lord, Savior, Jesus died. I'm not worthy to die the same kind of death. So they just turned the cross upside down and said, good, now it's a different kind of death. Get on. And that was how he died. Andrew uh, was reported to be crucified in Greece. By the way, notice that they're all in different places because the gospel spread and and, and the disciples went to different places to spread it. Thomas... He was died by swords in India. There were four soldiers that pierced him all at the same time. Philip was put to death in Asia Minor. James, the son of Alphaeus, not the brother of Jesus um, and not the brother of John, but the son of Alphaeus, was stoned and then clubbed to death according to Josephus, who was a historian of the day. And then John, John's the exception. John probably died of old age. He was exiled to, a, to an island, Patmos, and that's where he wrote the book of Revelation which none of us understand. So we have that, right? So they were so convinced that they lived out their days. They suffered. They were stoned. They were beaten. And they, most of them, all of them died because of their faith in Christ. They were so convinced that not even one of the disciples walked away and went back to their old lives. Think about that for a moment. If some of you, raise your hand real quick. You go, I'm a transplant. I'm here. I used to live somewhere else. This is not my hometown. Okay. So if you lost your job, if you had no hope for a new job, if everything in your life was kind of falling apart and you're still kind of on the young side, your parents live somewhere else, what would you do? And I'm telling you, a lot of us, the natural thing at least would be consider going back to where we came from, going home whatever if whatever brought you here disappeared the tendency is to go to the place of security especially if our parents are still living and there's a home to go to and to move into and to watch their television their cable instead of your own right <laughs> not even one of the disciples did that none of them if this was a lie if they were making it up that jesus rose from the dead would they live their lives out the same or would some of them going there's a better way to make a living"? There's a better way I still own a boat, right? I mean, there's things that they could, they could do and go back to, and none of them did that. Instead, they remained and they became totally devoted to Jesus for the rest of their lives. Now, what went through my mind was, what would it take to start that journey with God? What did it take for the disciples to start that kind of a relationship with, with, with Jesus? right and and i 'm and I'm still for them, I would say they, they, they didn 't have a church to go to they didn 't have a people to follow their parents weren 't saying, and by the way, you need to follow that guy. None of that was happening for them, right? they were just living their lives and going to synagogue and good Jewish boys, and the only reason they had to follow Jesus was Jesus, and the gospels tells us exactly what it took them for some of them anyway to start to follow him now let me just give you the those of you who grew up in church in sunday school we're going to go through some passages that are very familiar to you i think you're gonna get some new ah, ahas out of it but um i don't check out on me is kind of what i'm saying because even i I've, I've read these hundreds of times and I had a couple of ahas this time. So let me just take you through the story of the call of the disciples. Now, I also want you to understand, you're gonna, we're going to read this and it's going to sound like this is the first time these disciples heard of Jesus. That's probably not true, but that's probably what you learned in Sunday school. John, some of these disciples were already followers of John the Baptist, and John the Baptist had pointed out Jesus and kind of did a handoff, but then these guys go back to fishing. So you need to know that as we pick it up. So we're in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. It says, One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. This is amazing, isn't it? Because we think of calling of the disciples happening before there were great crowds. But there were great crowds already. Jesus already had some momentum. What he didn't have was his 12 disciples. And he's about to start picking them. So they're on the sea, on, 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 at the Sea of Galilee. When, when you hear sea, you think of massive body of water. The word sea in Hebrew just means a puddle, a pond, a lake, or an ocean. It's just any kind of water would be the sea. So that's why it's the Sea of Galilee because there's only one-third the size of Mille Lacs. And, and, and if you don't know what Mille Lacs is, then you're not really one of us yet in Minnesota. Um, <laughs> you can go look it up on a map, all right? So, so if you look at this map of the Sea of Galilee, where were they? Well, they could have been here where Mary Magdal was from, Or they could have been here where Peter's home was, Capernaum. And that's probably where they were doing their fishing. It's very unlikely they were on this side. There's a huge drop from this elevation down to to the lake. By the way, and and there's still room for you, but if you come into Israel, you will be on this water. You will be sleeping right up on the hill here and looking over the entire lake. And and I'm just telling you, I'm still twisting arms because I want you to come and not to miss that. So that's where Jesus was. It's a real place this is not a once-upon-a-time story. So he noticed, as he was in that place, two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them, and they were washing their nets. Right Now, when you hear the word boat, you, we all have something different in our in our minds. But this was not a Lund or, or a motorboat. This was a boat that um, would be first century. Now, what would that look like? Well, how would you know? And the answer is we do know. We know because in 1986... There was a drought, and by the way, they're siphoning more and more water away from the River Jordan that feeds into the Sea of Galilee, so the water level has been dropping, 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 more exposed shoreline, and one of the guys out on the shore one day, when the, when the water was receded greatly, saw something sticking out of the, of the earth, you know, where there used to be water, now it's exposed, and what it was was this boat, and they dated it to the first century. So they very carefully excavated it. And if you come to Israel with me, you will see this boat. <laughs> because there's a, they put it into this museum building right along the seash- seashore. And outside, they show you what the boat would have looked like in Jesus' day. Because it's the first century. Now, they call it the Jesus boat. The odds of Jesus actually being in that boat are very, 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 very remote. The odds of Jesus being in a boat exactly like this, very, very, very high. That's what it would, would look like. So that's what you can picture in your mind now. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner. Now that's kind of important. I know it's two words that just slipped by, but Simon owned the boat. He had a business. This is what he used every day. He wasn't one of the, one of the hired hands. He was the boat owner. So he asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and he taught the crowds from there. Why did he do that? You're from Minnesota. You know this. Why did he go get push me out in the boat a bit? Because sound is inc- it's incredible. Some of you know that L- Lori and I live on, on Lake Zumbro. And I'm telling you, sometimes some of you have boats on Lake Zumbro, and you stop. You don't know where my house is, but you stop because we're not telling you. But you're out in the water, and you're fishing or something, and your motor's running, and you think nobody can hear you. I just want you to know we hear every word. We hear, so be careful when you're in front of my house of what you're talking about because it'll haunt you, all right? But that's how sound, it just carries like that. And so Lori has to remind me, we're in the boat. She goes, shh, people can hear us, all right? When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, who was the bo- owner of the boat, now go out where it is deeper and let, your, let down your nets and catch some fish. And I'm going to tell you, some pastors will say, now look, let the, oh, me, now, go out where it is deeper. Go where it is deeper. Go where it's deeper. And they'll make a big point about this deep thing. Do you know what going deeper means? Going deeper means you need to go out on the surface of the water where the earth is farther from the boat. That's what going deeper means. It is not a spiritual thing. It is not, we're, we're going to go deep today. This is how we grow as Christians. It's not that. It's a, it's a geographical, physical thing. They just went to the water. It's deeper. Why? Because that's where Jesus was hiding the fish. That's why they did that, right? (laughs) Master Simon replied, we worked hard hard all last night and didn't catch a thing, but if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. Okay, how I just read it to you is how most of us read our Bibles. We just read it without putting any emotion into it. I'm going to tell you how this was really said and, and what was taking place because Simon was being extremely sarcastic to Jesus. Here's what he said. Master, Simon replied, we the professional fishermen the people who grew up on this lake our whole lives who fish for a living who know how to swim right we fished all night we worked hard all night we went to all the hot spots all night and we didn't catch a thing but if you nazareth preacher boy <laughs> who grew up who grew up far from the water who probably doesn't know how to swim, who's never caught a fish in your life, we're guessing. Right, but if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. Right, I think that the sarcasm is all over it. How could it not be there? And this time, when they let their nets down, their nets were so full of fish that the nets began to tear. And usually, if you're from Minnesota especially, someone says, what kind of fish? (laughs) <laughs> what kind of fish we got to know that detail and it was probably tilapia right which i say they can have them i don't want anything to do with that fish but but that's the kind of fish that they caught uh the other kind of fish that's, there's two other kind of fish one i can't remember the name of because i'm just not familiar with it the other one is sardines and that would be like near magdala they would, it was like a sardine capital and they would salt them and preserve them and and sell them right so i mean this is real life people are making their livings this is how they made their living so the the nets are full after not catching anything all night. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge uh, of sinking. So I think what happened is they put their nets down, pulled it up, dumped them in, pulled them down, pumped them in, because they filled the boats up. And one net full isn't going to fill your boat of tilapia. But, but now the boats are full beginning to shake. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, it's like all the puzzle pieces kind of fit in because he was so busy with the fish that all of a sudden he goes, oh my goodness, what's going on here? When he realized what happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and listened to what he said. Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. When he realized that this was a God moment, when he realized that this preacher boy was a preacher man and he could do this Suddenly he was overwhelmed with a sense of unworthiness, a sense of fear. Oh, Lord, get away from me because I'm sinful. I'm sinful. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. So here's what happened. Jesus got into his boat and he spoke his language so that he could take that first step to following him. Right? You know what the language of Peter was? fish in a net that was the language it was just a bunch of fish in a net i decided to give you something better than tilapia to look at um for those who don't know those are uh, walleye all right so i'm not going to say that i caught them but i did all right so um, <laughs> let's go back to the text his partner james and john the sons of zebedee so the guys are brothers were also amazed why were they amazed because they were fishermen they, too, understood. They were speaking, Jesus was speaking his language. So Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. Why did he say don't be afraid? Because Peter was afraid. Right? It's not complicated. He was afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And this is the point, if you grew up in Sunday school, where the teacher would look at you and he'd say, and that's what God wants you to be. He wants you to start fishing for people. And that's what the video showed. You know, the guy catches the fish. By the way, was that the greatest impersonation of a fish you've ever seen? Man. So he's pulling the the guy up, pulls him up, and two hours later, the guy's fishing, and the shoreline's full of the fish they've already caught, the men and women and kids that they've already caught. That's not how it works. And that's not how it works for Peter. Jesus was making a statement. You are going to become a fisher for people. You're not there yet, but that's where we're headed. So as soon as they landed, as soon as they landed, as soon as they landed, he made a choice. They left everything, his boat, his business. Probably said, hey, you're my brother, you're my cousin, take care of my boat for me. And you can use it all you want. Right? Just don't let it, you know, make sure you're covered every night, and that kind of stuff. They left everything, and they followed Jesus. What does follow Jesus mean? They went where he went. They hung out with him. They camped with him. They hiked with him. They walked with him. They learned from him. They were, this was a normal thing for rabbis to do, is to gather people around them and call them the disciples. And they were disciples of, of Jesus. And what I want you to understand is when they made that first choice, when they left the shoreline, they didn't know a lot. They didn't. They weren't mature in their faith, right? They didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah. They just thought they were following a rabbi. An amazing rabbi, but a rabbi. They didn't go, we're following Jesus. He's the Messiah. They had no clue who he was. They didn't know that Jesus would die on a cross for their sin. That concept was completely foreign to them. They had no idea about what Jesus, who he was, and what he was going to do. They had no idea where they were going to go. They had no idea what they would do. What's our, they had no idea what, what their theology was and how it wasn't in order. Right? None of those things were thought through. They were fishermen. And Jesus chose them, come and follow me, and they, to their credit, as soon as they got to shore, they left everything and followed him. They began that journey. They had no idea what Jesus meant by fishers of men. Okay, we're in. That's what we've always dreamed of being. As fishers of men, no, not, they didn't do that. They didn't have a plan. All they had, the only reason they followed, is they looked at Jesus and they said, "I'm in. I'm following that guy," because they were convinced. And I think the part of them just like, "I don't want to miss out. Wherever this train is going, with this that guy, whatever what he just did there, he just spoke my language. With him, I am going." As far as it goes, and I don't know where it's going, but I'm not going to miss out on it. That. That's the power of a filled net for fishermen. Now, my family can relate to that. Besides golfing, which is my number one love and occupation of the summer, fishing would be number two. I don't fish much around here because, frankly, um, I wouldn't eat anything out of these waters. But that you go ahead and enjoy yourself. Um, we go up north where my dad had a cabin on, on an island in Rainy Lake just over the border in Canada. That's where these, these are Canadian fish, healthy, good-looking fish, right? And we go fishing out in the boat. So that's my current boat right there, and probably my future boat for a while. And uh, that's Molly and me. And when Molly was in high school, she and I went out fishing, and Lori came with us. Lori typically rides along and reads her book and nets the fish for us. And Molly and I are fishing. She's in high school, and I should tell you that she hates the story. Um, I do have permission to tell it. She even chose the picture. So we're good. But she doesn't like this story because she's not the star. And... uh, (laughs) (laughs) But it is kind of about her. So we're fishing. And we're fishing for like two hours. And I'm catching fish after fish after fish because I'm highly skilled. And, (laughs) And fish is mostly luck. Molly hasn't caught a thing and she's watching me pull in fish and fish and fish, and she's catching nothing. And now, if you've ever been with a Molly, we'll just say Molly. I won't put on every kid, but Molly, and she's not catching anything while her dad is catching things. She's getting bitter, more bitter, more sullen, more pouty. She's not here right now, so I can really, you know, build it up. Pouty. She's kind of. We can. We all know. All of us being her parents, know this is not going well. And she's getting mad, and she's starting to wrap the rod on the side of the boat. Bam, 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 bam. Molly, stop it, you know, kind of thing. She goes, I'm not catching anything, right? And and then Lori has the audacity, being the spiritual leader that she is, she has the audacity to turn to Molly and say, Molly, have you prayed to catch a fish? And Molly is like, Well, of course. No, she did not say that. Molly's like, Really? really and she goes tell you what molly i'll pray that you catch a fish so they're out loud in the boat <laughs> and remember sound carries um <laughs> out there in the boat she uh, lori starts to pray, god would you please give molly with a very short and simple prayer help molly catch a fish and within 10 seconds Molly verified it for me last night within ten seconds, the rod tip went down, and molly 's got a fish, and she pulls it in and she 's never been so bitter about catching a fish <laughs> in her entire life, right because she didn't like it she, she and and last night she, afterwards she goes, "You know what? it still makes me mad <laughs> i'm like, you know molly it's okay we it's and this is kind of it, when you're not, by the way, this is a different message, but when you're not catching fish, whatever you're catching fish is, and you don't hear God's voice, and God's not coming through the way you want him to, often, he's just waiting for a better moment. Right? Because what a great, the fishermen all night, they don't catch anything. Molly, for a couple of hours, could barely stand it, not catching anything. And then when you do catch the fish, it leaves a mark right? And I don't know what kind of market left for Molly. Maybe it's just bitterness and pain. But for Lori and me, it was a this is awesome. Look what God did. It was a God moment because I'm telling you, she prayed and bang, she caught a fish. And that's not the fish she caught. That's a happier day that we have there, (laughs) (laughs) All right. So the disciples, after catching that fish, didn't know what they were getting into. All they did was take that first step away from their old lives right this is what jeff was talking about they repented of their old lives they turned to the kingdom of god they turned to jesus and said we're following you because jesus said come on do this and you're going to get a better life i've got great things for you listen to last week's message about what repent really means it's an invitation from god to something better something bigger And over time, they became totally devoted to Jesus. Why is this important? Well, because we're all coming to Jesus from different places right now. Some of us, we have to take that first step. And some of us are a little bit farther down the road, and we're, we're following Jesus. But we're all, if we're, in, if we're following Jesus at all, we're all becoming what we're not yet and who we're not yet. Now, I'm going to show you this in, in the disciples' lives. This is so cool. By the way, these are just my very, very favorite passages. They're just over-preached, so I don't hit them very often. But but what I'm about to reveal to you is like one of the coolest aha moments I've ever had reading Scripture. So that was Luke 5. If you want to read that same story in the book of John, you can't. Because John didn't record the calling of the disciples that way. He 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 has a different flair on it. He connects it more with John the Baptist, which is absolutely fine. He just omitted it. But what's weird is when you get to the end of John, John 21, John completes the story. And if he would have put them both in his book, I think it would have been bad because it would have been like, okay, he started this way and he ended this way and it's too perfect and it's like mirror image and it's something that uh, an author would do who's making things up. But because he doesn't record the front story, he only records the back story, we get to put Luke and John together and see what's taking place. So three years after the disciples start to follow Jesus, Jesus dies on the cross. They're in love with Jesus now. They've been following Jesus. They know, they've seen miracles. The fish were nothing. That was just a warming act for the opening. He healed people. He raised the dead. He's building this kind of tension with the Pharisees. And eventually the Pharisees win out, at least from their perspective, and they put Jesus on a cross and he dies. And the disciples, what they followed, what they put their hope in, who they became totally in love with and totally devoted to, was dead. And they didn't see that coming even though Jesus told them it was coming. He didn't see it coming. And for three days they suffered with that. And then the tomb was empty. And this is Easter. And we'll talk more about this, obviously, when we get in the next few weeks here of Easter. But Jesus is risen. And not only is Jesus alive again, but he shows himself. He shows himself one time in a room, but Thomas wasn't there. And we talked about this in the first message. Then he shows himself again, and Thomas is there. But because Thomas wasn't there, the disciples are all excited. Jesus is risen from dead. He's alive. And Thomas says, no, I saw him dead. I won't believe unless... I see the holes in his hands and touch the, the hole in his side. Jesus shows up in a room. Thomas is there. He goes, go ahead, touch me. Thomas is like, no, that's okay. You are. I, I believe. I believe. And he worshiped. And, he, and, and they're full of joy. And this is un, really Unbelievable. This guy who was dead is now alive again. And now I'm going to take you to the third time that Jesus showed himself to the disciples. It's recorded in John 21. So this is is in between when Jesus ascends and goes to heaven and after the resurrection. And here's what happens. By the way, remember, Jesus is with them all the time. This is the third time he's showing up. So here's what it says. This is the last chapter of John. It says, Later Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. So they're kind of drifting their way back to the Sea of Galilee, and this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon and Peter, who owns a boat, still owns a boat probably. Thomas, who just got through his doubt experience, but then Jesus shows up. Nathaniel from Canaan in, in, in Galilee. The sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John. John, the one who wrote the book. And then two other disciples who didn't get named because they didn't make the credits. All right, so Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. So there's this moment of, what do we do next? Jesus isn't here. He, we've seen him twice, but we don't know what to do. And some time is going by. Peter goes, well, you know what? i got a boat. I'm going fishing. For, maybe it was because they were hungry and they needed some food. Maybe he was thinking they would sell it. Maybe he was thinking they'd catch some fish and give it to the poor. I don't know what the motivation was, but fishermen tend to like to go fishing. So he says, I'm going fishing. And the, the other disciples say, we'll come too, they all said. So they went out, to, out in the boat, it's like they didn't borrow a boat. They had a boat. Out in the boat, and they caught nothing all night. And that happens to fishing people sometimes. So they're not, they're not thinking, oh, this is really unusual. We didn't catch anything. But they caught nothing all night. They worked hard all night. And they're professional fishermen still. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach. Right? So Jesus showed up for the third time. But the disciples couldn't see who he was. Maybe the sun was in their eyes. Maybe Jesus had a different look. I'm not sure exactly why they couldn't see who he was. Jesus calls out, fellows, guys. Have you caught any fish? And the answer is obviously no. Then he said, "Throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some." Now, wouldn't you think that that would be enough to trigger? But but it, it isn't. They're just they're, the sun is in their eyes; they can't see who Jesus is. They're not putting the puzzle pieces together. But m- amazingly enough, they did it. So they threw the net on the other side, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many. It was so heavy. Then, listen to what John writes. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. So who is the disciple that Jesus loved? John, right? This is called a humble brag. That's what he's doing here. He's he's staying humble, but he's also bragging because he's the one who figured out it was Jesus first. And he wants us to know that because he's human. Right? And I would have done the same thing. So then the disciple Jesus loved most said to Peter, It's the Lord. Right? People, go. Oh, it is. It's the Lord. Now listen to this. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, so he was, I don't, mostly naked anyway, working, which makes sense. So he puts a tunic on, a little bit of, um, just good manners, and he jumped into the water and he started swimming to the to the shore. Hold on to that image for a moment. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for there they were only about a hundred yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire. Do you get this? Jesus does not need their fish to feed them. In fact, he kind of handled like 5000 people at a time for dinner plans one time, right? So, he doesn't need their fish. He's got fish cooking over charcoal fire and he's got some bread. But he says, bring me some of the fish you've just caught. I don't really need them, but I know it'll make you feel good. Bring your fish, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore, and there were 153 large fish, that, and, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now pause there for a moment. This is how you know the story is true. Fishermen count fish. We know for the rest of time that there are 153 fish in the net. Who cares? And the answer is, fishermen do. They they, they, they can't help themselves. They're going to count it up. But there's 153 fish. Now, come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. Now, when he says, come and have some breakfast, what emotion do you think Jesus had on his face? Do you picture that ever? Most of us picture Jesus always being serious and stern. I think he was laughing. I think it was... Come on, you guys. (laughs) I know 153. Awesome. Come on. Let's eat some fish together. And I think he was laughing out loud because he was replaying their very call in a way that they they would never forget. But do you remember Peter's response to the first time this miracle took place? He falls to his knees and he says, get away from me because I'm afraid and I'm a sinful man. And I don't know who you are, but I'm this isn't good you've got to move away from me and jesus says no 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 peter get up come on i'm going to make you fisher fisher of men and this time when john tells him it's the lord what does he do he doesn't fall to his knees and say get away from me he dives in the water and starts swimming as hard as he can to get to that shore because he loves jesus and he knows jesus loves him and he's changed and by the way, you have to read the rest of chapter 20 on yourself. This is, this is where Peter's going from. You will be a fisher of men to now you are a fisher of men. After this point, that, that prophecy of Jesus, you become a fisher of men, that came true. And Jesus beca- or Peter becomes the leader and the evangelist that we know he is. So we're back to the shoreline now. And none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. They knew it was the Lord. They knew exactly all the puzzle pieces were fitting. They knew it was the Lord. And it helped because John told them it was him too, right? (laughs) Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. He served them breakfast. And this was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. You know my prayer is? Usually at the end of a message like this I have, and now you need to go read your Bibles, and now you need to go do this the end of this message, my to-do is a little bit different. I just have a prayer. First of all, it's a prayer for us, for you and for me. And my first prayer is this, that we would join the disciples in the adventure. That wherever you are, however far you've been keeping Jesus away, that you would check him out, that, that I wouldn't persuade you, but that the, that the word would persuade you, that hearing about Jesus from the evangelists who wrote it down, that we call them gospel writers, who invite you to come check out jesus because they don't want you to miss out on what they didn't miss out they want you in the adventure and my prayer is that all of us would take that first step and then the next step and then the next step and maybe we're afraid and maybe we feel sinful and maybe feel unworthy but jesus who we don't really know that well is the same one who loved peter loves you loves me and that we would start to walk with that and however sinful or afraid you are i'm telling you jesus doesn't care he wants you to stand up. He wants to give you the forgiveness that he died for on the cross. He wants you to begin to follow. And who you are today and how you feel about Jesus could be quite different in three years. And eventually you start to join the fishing party. It probably won't be a two-hour transformation. It'll probably be a longer journey to become a mature person who's helping others, leading others. But, but don't miss the adventure. See, Jesus didn't just die to get us into heaven and out of hell. He died so that we could be a part of what he's doing here and now. And he wants to use us. He didn't need the disciples. He didn't need their fish. But he uses them. And he uses their fish. He uses you. He uses me. He uses our gifts and abilities because that's our fish. My prayer is that we would join the disciples. For some of us, it's the first step away from some things that we might be holding on to very tightly but we know they don't go with the kingdom of God, and we start to follow Jesus. By the way, you don't have to have your theology figured out. You don't have to know what you actually believe, everything about Jesus. You don't have to have... But you have a huge advantage, right? Because you probably already have a better theology than Peter had when he started following Jesus. You already know that Jesus died on the cross for you. Peter had no clue. You already know that that God loves you because we told you that you may not believe it, but at least you know it. You have the whole word, the whole story at your disposal that you can read and expose yourself to and understand that peter didn't have right and and i'm just saying let's let's follow let's turn let's go that direction the second prayer is that we would have moments when we know it is the lord right by the way sometimes that's a great moment like for Lori and me in the boat right when we knew was, molly caught that fish right after the prayer right after the prayer and we're going okay that's the lord this because that's just too tight And I know, by the way, if you're a skeptic, I totally get it. It could be coincident, but I'm telling you, I was there. Right? And for Molly, it was the Lord, but it was kind of a bitter moment with the Lord. (laughs) And you'll probably have some of those in your life because God doesn't care that you don't like everything he does. Right? Or how he does it or the style he does it. But to have moments when you know it's the Lord builds your faith, gives you strength, and I hope you have those. And I hope when you have them, you document them in your heart, in your mind, because hard times come and we start to lose our bearings a little bit. But it's the Lord. The fish aren't always going into the net, but they will go into the net. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for meeting people right where they're at. And for the fishermen in Galilee it meant an, a, an amazing slow night of fishing followed up by an exclamation point of who you are. And God, I want that exclamation point in my life. I want that exclamation point in the lives of everybody here. God, would you help us to, to, to make our decision about you based on who you are and ho- how you love us and what you've done for us? Some of us are following you for maybe some of the reasons that aren't, they're not bad, but they're not the reason. You're the reason we follow. And God, some of us are keeping you at a distance, not because we don't like you, but it's because we don't like something else that's happened to us that that you let happen to us or that Christians have done and we got turned off or by how the church has behaved and we walked away from it or the fact that the church doesn't take our questions seriously and God, I think you do. So God, would would you bring us on this journey And then God, would you use our fish, whatever our fish, whatever our fish are. We want to be a part of what you're doing. And I don't want to miss out. In Christ's name, amen.